Father, we bow before you this morning, this place of worship, and we just thank you for this opportunity to come before you. We thank you, especially during this time of year when we're reminded again of your gift of love to us, how you brought life to this world that was um, wrapped in darkness. And I just thank you for that, and I just pray that you would help us to fill our lives with that light and to shine it in the, the world we live in. Just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, greetings in Jesus' name and welcome to each one this morning. It's good to see you all here. Seems like there's some of our people traveling at the same time we get visitors as well. So it's good to see everyone here. Pretty well filled up this morning. This is a uh, special time of the year. A wonderful time of the year for most of us, <clears throat> Christmas. Um, and I want to look at the, uh, a few of the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, especially um, the, the first Christmas, as we know, the first Christmas. And I want to see the hand of God in this, the hand of God at Christmas. We certainly, we all know that, yes, a lot of the, the uh, certainly the uh, events, the birth itself was supernatural, um, only could be performed by God through a miracle. But I want to look a little closer at some of these events and, and again establish in, my, in our mind some of these things that really did happen that were uh, very important, uh, key to our salvation. You know, Christmas certainly is a wonderful time of the year. And I, I'm sure that your schedule, like mine, is already packed full, but it really is a joyful time of the year. We spend the whole service singing songs that relate to that, and very likely will for the next several Sundays. Um, I don't like when we just limit it to one Sunday for Christmas songs, because, you know, there's a lot of songs that relate to Christmas, and I guess when it really comes down to it, what other holiday do we have that really focuses that much on specific songs as it relates to the holiday. You know, there's a lot of holidays, but Christmas is probably the one that we have the most uh, specific songs as it relates to that. And so I'm always blessed by that and certainly do enjoy that. And of course, the, the other um, very important part, if you want to call it that, theme of Christmas is the, the gift theme, especially focusing on the gift of Jesus Christ, God giving that gift to us, the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, I guess I sort of look at that as the beginning, the starting point of our salvation plan, even though the many of the Old Testament prophets spoke of the coming Messiah and the Jewish people in that day were looking for it, expecting it. For hundreds of years before it finally happened. When it finally happened, a lot of people missed it entirely. That's the sad part about it. <clears throat> a lot of people, even in that local town, completely overlooked it, missed it. To the Jewish leaders, it didn't quite fit their narrative. It didn't quite happen the way they were hoping or expecting. And so, uh, even though Jesus' ministry certainly brought a lot of attention, turned many people's heads, that's about as far as it went for a lot of people. 
I often wondered how many people who witnessed his birth recognized him 30 years later. Do you ever think about that? How many people would have recognized him 30 years later as the same person? Maybe the shepherds? I don't know. We don't have record of that. But can't help believe that those shepherds that were out on the hillside when the angel announced it to them, you wouldn't forget that right away, would you? I wonder how many recognized him 30 years later when his earthly ministry began. I don't know if the innkeeper would have put two and two together. Probably not. He might have been busy and overwhelmed with other uh, travelers at night. What about the wise men? How about the doctors that Jesus, now this is at age 12, what about how many of those doctors that Jesus sat with and asked questions and listened to them? wonder how many of them recognized him 18 years later. Just wondered. Don't really have an answer. But certainly um, there was, it seems, a lot of people that really did forget the hand of God at Christmas. Um, it's obvious in, in John 8, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, didn't forget because they reminded Jesus when he was with the, the, this, uh, that long discussion that he has about God being his father and they were trying to claim his, as, him as their father, father too and Jesus claimed, no, your father is the devil. God is my father. And they reminded him, oh no, no, we're not born fornication, implying that he was. So they didn't forget, but as I say, they didn't see the hand of God in all of this. It didn't quite happened the way they were hoping to. But I want to look at the, the hand of God at Christmas this morning, and I want to start with the virgin birth. And I know that's really basic, and we kind of looked at it as elementary, but it really is foundational. And I want to look at a few details as it relates to that. That really is supernatural. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> this is the account of the angel appearing to Mary and telling her what's about to happen. Luke chapter 1, <clears throat> begin reading in verse 26. And in the sixth month, and I'm breaking right into the middle here of that, uh, there's also, previous to this, a couple of verses, talks about um, Elizabeth and Zacharias also expecting a baby, which is John the Baptist, and in her sixth month, verse 26, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee unto named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth his son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto him, 
said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born unto thee shall be called the Son of God. So this is the angel's announcement to Mary. As we, she, as we see, she was a, a girl from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David, and a virgin. She was engaged to this carpenter from Nazareth named Joseph, and apparently both of them were poor. You'll see that in, in, in the end of chapter, chapter 2, I think, Luke 2. She was, uh, now in, in their day, Jewish girls typically married at a young age. She was likely a young teenager at this time, and it was often common for their husbands to be 8 to 10 years older. So, um, just for a bit of setting, that's not here in Scripture, but that was consistent with their, with their culture. Mary was, of course, a vessel chosen by God to bear his son. <clears throat> you know, we have, um, and that's, that's in Matthew uh, 1, you'll see the angel appearing to, um, to Joseph, and we might get to that a little bit later. Scripture, scripture teaches us that while Jesus was fully human with a physical body like ours, he was also fully God. And it seems like the sin nature is passed down from generation to generation through the Father. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. I don't know if this is taken out of context, but I do like the way this verse reads as it relates to the sin passing down. Romans, there's a couple of verses in here. I want to focus on, on verse 12 of Romans chapter 5. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And a couple of verses down, you'll see that, that by another man we were delivered from sin. And this is sort of, maybe this is a bit of a simplistic explanation, but I do like this thought. Um, Jesus, having been born of a virgin, conceived through the Holy Spirit, this circumvented the transmission of sin nature and allowed Jesus to be a perfect man. Does that make sense, or is that too, am I taking it out of context? I like that thought because Mary was a vessel chosen by God to bear the Son of God. She, of course, being a virgin, conceived by the Holy Ghost. I Again, that was... Uh, not a new thought, but I do kind of like that. Uh, Mary was also a very special person, <clears throat> and you'll see a couple of her traits right here in this chapter. First of all, she was highly favored by God. Now, this word favored means given much grace. And certainly Mary did receive God's grace. You know, even after the birth of Jesus, she did go on to have several other children, which in their culture was, was certainly um, accepted as a very clear indication of God's blessing on a woman. So God really did uh, favor her, but she also, um, you, you'll notice <clears throat> as we read, I'm going to read that little, uh, there in, in chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. It seems she had an extensive knowledge of the of the scriptures, of the writings, because a lot of her, the prayer that she gives are quotes taken from scripture in various places. 
Um, follow with me in there, Luke chapter 1, 46 and 55. This is Mary's um, song, or praise, if you will, after having been informed by the angel of this birth that she is going to be giving to and the nature of that. Luke 1, verse 46. <clears throat> then Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm, he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of his heart, he hath put down the mighty from their seats, and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath Open his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake of our fathers to Abraham and to his seed forever. Mary was bursting with praise and honor for God at this point as she realized what was about to happen. And I often wondered, um, did she really understand? Probably not. Maybe like a uh, an expectant mother for the first time today doesn't really know what to expect, but her even more so. But um, in verse 46, a phrase taken out of Psalm 34 too. At 49, there's a, a phrase taken from Psalm 71:19, verse 51, taken out of Psalm 98:1, and there's more. I'm not going to go through all of them, but then notice in, in verses 50 to 53. Is, uh, is for all of God's people, for us, who fear him from generation to generation. That's for us as well. She acknowledged also God's mercies to three specific groups of people, the helpless in verse 51, the humble in 52, and the hungry in 53. And in, in their day, they didn't have a social net like we do in our day for those that are underprivileged. The, those that were not so well off, had a tough time. They really had to, to fight for their survival. And in many cases, they were just trampled down by the elite group in their society and in their culture. So you can see, she is certainly asking God's mercy on these, uh, on the, on these specific uh, groups of people. Mary also identified herself as a handmaid of the Lord. Um, she had, uh, she responded with a willingness to submit to God's plan. This was the, the lowest type of a female household slave in their day. This is how she viewed herself in God's plan, a handmaid of the Lord. <clears throat> and of course, she went on to, you know, bear this son. But then at the age of 12, we have that scene there in the end of chapter chapter 2, where they went to the temple to, uh, for their feast and uh, noticed he was missing. They had started for home, and a couple days into the journey, realized he wasn't there, went back to look for him, and they found him sitting in the temple with doctors, hearing them and asking them questions. Twelve years of age, uh, asking these doctors questions. His parents were truly amazed by what they saw. And even though I doubt that they fully understand 
Lord Jesus' explanation about him doing his father's business, being about his father's business, it says his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. You know, Jesus must have been a mom's dream child. I don't know how she related to other moms who, who had normal children that didn't quite, weren't quite like him. But Notice again her attitude. She kept all these sayings in her heart. I'm not sure who she would have related to. Who were her friends? But then at the end of the chapter it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. As he grew physically, he also grew in wisdom and earned the favor of his people, the people around him, and with God, of course. So we can see the certainly the virgin birth as being um, very key in this. Certainly, yeah, we certainly see the hand of God in this because this really is unusual. I know a lot of mothers. I don't think any of them that I know are virgins as far as I know. So that really was key. It really was uh, important. Let's take a look at the birth of Jesus. And we'll go to Luke chapter 2 for this, a couple of verses here. As we see the events folding that lead up to that and a couple of other events in their world around them that we can see, again, God's timing, God's leading, God directing certain people. Luke 2, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary his espoused, wife being great with child. And so it was that, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. How many times... Do we see in scripture where God used a, a pagan civil authority, pagan, I think we could class Herod as being a pagan, to accomplish his plan? It's happened quite a few times in scripture. Uh, if you really think about it, it happened a lot. God used a pagan civil authority to accomplish his plan. You know, this was God's way to have the couple in Bethlehem at that time in history, Caesar Augustus was ruling, but God was in charge. Because it was that edict that brought Mary and Joseph 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill his word. This was an obligation that Rome imposed on their citizens. Every 14 years, they took a tax or a census for military and tax purposes. And each Jewish male... An adult had to return to the city of his father to record his name, his occupation, his property, and family. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. And I guess I take comfort in that. <clears throat> Excuse me. I take comfort in that even in our day. I, I'm sure God is in control even in our society, in our world, in our day. And I need to <clears throat> remind myself of that. 
God can and will use pagan civil authorities to bring about his plan, to accomplish his will. And so that was the setting. That's what took them there at that particular time. And I don't know how much of window of time Joseph had to register, to be there. Was there, a de- there was probably some kind of a deadline. Otherwise, why would you make that journey with an expected wife? That was, that, that was quite a journey. Mary was espoused to Joseph, meaning in our, we'd call it engaged. However, their engagement was much more binding than what we know in our culture. Their engagement was only broken. It was a legal uh, contract, if you will. And it wasn't as easily broken as it is as an engagement is in, in our culture. They were referred to as husband and wife, but had not come together physically as husband and wife, and yet they were committed to each other and engaged to be married. Well, they were, they were married. It's just a different term. But that was, that's what we see in Matthew 118. It says she was espoused to Joseph or engaged to marry him, engaged to him. So we see here after, and I don't know how many days this would have taken. We see all these scenes of them traveling on a donkey, and maybe they did have a ride. I'm not sure. But that would have probably been the best mode of transportation that they would have had. Remember, they were poor. So I doubt that there was something affordable that was faster and easier. Probably in walking. Maybe they did have a donkey. I'm not sure. But how long would it take to walk 80 miles? 80 miles is from here to the other side of Rochester, way up on the other side. That's a long way to walk, isn't it? It would take quite, I would mention, I would guess it'd take several days, several days of fast walking. And so here they are coming into the city that's already full. The city is full from all of these other people that are there for the same reason. So apparently there was some kind of a deadline imposed on them for registering this, for this tax. And there was no rooms. The, the, the hotels, the motels, everything was full. But then if we see in, in, in chapter 2, verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son. She brought forth her son. Alone? By herself? Was there no midwife? I don't think Joseph would have been involved at that time. That would have been awkward, wouldn't it? She brought forth her firstborn son. I find that, I see the hand of God there. I don't know how many of you ladies ever delivered a baby by yourself, but that's not common, is it? That doesn't usually happen. I wouldn't recommend it either, but that's what it says. Now, I guess I'm a little bit, um, might I say, disappointed. Luke was a doctor. He sure didn't give us many details here, did he? Wouldn't it be nice to have a few more details? But that's all he gives us. That's all he says. And so uh, here we have, she brought forth her son safely. Doesn't give us any clues of any complications or incidents whatsoever. Again, can we see the hand of God here? Truly we can. The birth of Jesus. Truly we can see the hand of God. 
But then there's the other side. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We have, this is, um, chapter 1 is the scene where the angel announces to Joseph. And it continues on that thread of now the, the scene and the upheaval that would have created here in, in, in society, especially with the king. This king feels threatened. Matthew 2, um, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Now when Jesus was born Bethlehem, in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. For they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And now Bethlehem, in that land of Judea, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had probably called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. When you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. If you look into the history of Herod, he was a cruel, ruthless person who did not tolerate anyone that threatened his the throne, that threatened his position as king. And it says Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, certainly. Keep reading in the end of the chapter and you'll see some of the trouble. And uh, I wonder if the wise men saw through this. Did they, were they fooled by his charm? Apparently not because the angel had or God sent, showed them in a dream that they should take an alternate route home and not go tell him. God also warned Joseph through a dream later on in the chapter and gave him some specific instructions to flee the wrath of the king. That's in verses 12 and 13 of that same chapter. So we have the king feeling very threatened by this and uh, taking matters into his own hands at the end of the chapter to annihilate his king, to get the king. And of course, a lot of other innocent children died because of that. The, a, a, a king in, in, in their day certainly was above the law, wrote his own law, was way, just did what he, did what he wanted to. But I want to focus a little more on, on the, uh, the announcement in, in Luke chapter 2, the announcement by the angels. There we have, beginning in verse, <clears throat> verse 9 through 14. I'm going to read those couple, couple of verses. Luke 2, beginning in verse 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day, in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. <clears throat> Certainly we can see the hand of God in this. This isn't too hard to see. The, the angels announced this birth to the shepherds. Now the shepherds, as we heard earlier, would have been out on the hillside grazing their sheep. 
and guarding against any, any uh, predators especially. Now, shepherds were not a highly respected group of people in their society. They were low-class people. They were, for the most part, especially during a certain time of the year, they would have been unclean for an extended, an extended period of time to where they couldn't even go to the temple to worship. If they were in contact with any, any, any carcass, any dead carcass or, or, or blood of any type, anything like that, they were unclean for seven days. So you can see they were not, they would have been not very well looked upon. In fact, I read in other areas that their, um, their word in court was not accepted. They were not quite considered to be trustworthy even to that point. And yet we have God choosing to tell shepherds this important message. Um, is that a, does that sound like a good idea? If you want to spread some good news, you would probably choose someone that you trust and someone that you respect, wouldn't you? You business owners, you like to get something, a good value for your advertising dollars. You want something that works. God chose shepherds, a group of people that were not very well respected or trusted. Amazing. Certainly see the hand of God here. It says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, the glory of the Lord had been hidden for like 400 plus years, during which time God had been completely silent. No revelation given. No, There was no prophets that spoke of God's word. There was just, it was, like was said earlier, a dark time. A dark time. No revelation from God, no word from God. And now we see the glory of the Lord shining round about them. What a sight that must have been. <clears throat> and of course, they were terrified by what they saw. And so was Mary by the angel's announcement, as Joseph was as well. It was so unexpected. It was so out of the blue, we would say. I don't know that there was any, any clue that they would have had that this was about to happen. This was just so unexpected and out of the blue, this whole thing. The angel's message is fear not, fear not. Can we embrace this message for ourselves today? We need to, fear not. <clears throat> also, we notice that they found it by searching. And if you look up that word, that's exactly what it means. It means a search, an active search. Um, I don't know what the layout of the land would have been, but I understand it was typical for a, maybe a, 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 maybe a, an inn or something to have a stable out back where they would keep their animals overnight. And this would have been likely where Jesus was born, in a stable that was more suited for animals than people. And so there could have been numerous stables out behind the buildings in town. So they would have had to go looking for this, and they were giving a few signs as what to look for. Obviously, there probably wasn't a baby in every stable, 
probably the only one, in fact. But they had to search for that. They had to search for Jesus, and they found him by searching. Think about Herod. Did he find Jesus? He wasn't even willing to search. He wanted the wise men to do the searching for him and then report back to him. And as we know, Herod, according to scripture, never did find him. Wasn't willing to search. Of course, God would have closed his eyes if he would have. Herod didn't search, so he didn't find. Certainly we can see, in many ways, the hand of God at Christmas. And I, I, I trust that we can, we can see that as well, this season again. As we think of the, the, the many events that led up to that, and events that we might call kind of out of the blue, just totally unexpected, um, God moves that way many times. And it's, it's my prayer that we can all see the hand of God this, this, uh, this Christmas season. And also remember that even though, like was said earlier, we are living in a dark time as well. But the light was given to us and the glory of the Lord was shared with us for us to share with others. Let's kneel as we pray. Lord, we thank you for the glory, your glory that was revealed to the world back then. Thank you for revealing yourself in this way after a period of darkness, after a period of silence, <clears throat> no prophecy or word given. Here comes this wonderful glory of the Lord through Jesus Christ. Thank you for your hand at, us, at, the, at the first Christmas. Lord, we realize that you have... Your ways are way above our ways. Thank you that you have so ordained the virgin birth. Through that, Jesus could be the perfect lamb offered for our salvation. Thank you, too, for, your, uh, for Mary's willingness to serve in this way. Father, she gave herself in such a wonderful way, in a real way. Her faith is, is, is an inspiration to all of us, <clears throat> realizing that she very likely knew very little of what to expect and yet trusted you fully and wholly for this. Thank you, too, that even during that time, during a wicked king reigning, you were still in charge, and you have used that king to accomplish your plan. You used that king to bring the couple to Bethlehem. And at that particular point in time, he was born. We marvel when we look at this and then the angels announcing this to the shepherds. You have chosen the shepherds, a humble, lowly group of people <clears throat> who were willing to leave their responsibilities and search for him. And through that they found him. May this be an inspiration to us as we also continue our search for a closer and a deeper relationship with you and that this light that we have been given we may be willing and able to share with those that we meet and we thank you in jesus name amen